Hey there, Lakers. So last time I left off with this kind of crazy idea that maybe Adelaide and Chris's supplier for this operation they were in was a faculty member at Lady of the Lake and not a student. I ended there because it was only speculation and it was just a half a thought. I wanted to put more time into my theory to see if it could really be possible before I just started spewing different theories at you. So I stayed up that night and the night after and the night after putting this together in my mind and to me it honestly makes sense. A faculty member would have access to Adelaide and Chris's schedules especially if they worked in administration in the front office. Teachers would have opportunity to have private conversations with Adelaide or Chris without it seeming odd or out of place and honestly the motive is there too. Working at a school doesn't make you too much money, and I've known plenty of people who by day are teachers and by night are bartenders. This business could just be a way to make some extra cash, and depending on the openness of a spouse towards this business, or if whoever this is isn't even married at all, they would have a place to hide the product without really anyone finding out. My first thought on who the supplier could be was Mrs. Spade, the art teacher. Despite her PhD in arts, she was totally the hippie type. Long, raggedy hair, constantly dressed extremely casual, but always in bright colors, insane amounts of large rings, and she was always so happy and laid back. But she never came into class with clear eyes. Occasionally, she would come into class and take some time to talk about her late husband, especially on like anniversaries and holidays and like that kind of thing. In pictures from when they first met back in the 60s, she didn't quite look like the woman you saw throwing bowls at the pottery wheel, and she had kind of like a girl-next-door charm. She'd occasionally tell us about when she met her husband back in North Carolina. I guess she'd joined the protest in marches against Vietnam, and she'd met a man, a dreamboat in her words, who looked out of place, and when she asked him if he was lost, he replied with, no, just taking in the scene. And looked right at her with just these like gorgeous amber eyes. They spent the rest of the day together and the whole night. And when she woke up next to him sleeping peacefully in the morning, she knew she would fall in love with him. They spent a couple of weeks together. But then he got stationed overseas. And they lost touch until they ran into each other two years later back in North Carolina. And he was shocked to see that she had a small boy with his copper hair in tow. She told us that he's yours were the first words she'd said to him in two years. Eight months later, they got married, and she never really turned her back on her hippie life. Like, not fully. Being a mother did require her to dampen it some, but when her son grew up and her husband died, she unleashed it a little bit more. And honestly, for as long as I can remember, it's been out in full force. But I wasn't ever fully convinced about Mrs. Spade. She may have been a huge advocate for a business like this, but she also loves her teaching job. It's sweet. Whenever she pulls students' works out of the kiln, she always makes a comment about the craftsmanship or the beauty of the glazing. And no matter how awful the piece actually looks... I don't believe she'd be willing to jeopardize her job in order to make a little extra cash, not to mention in an illegal business. 
If anything, she'd probably be a bartender like most of the other teachers who had second jobs. Mrs. Spade wasn't completely in the clear for my investigation, but the more I thought about it, the more it didn't make sense. She was the obvious choice for staff, but a business like this just wasn't one that I could see herself getting mixed up in. She knows better. I started to think about old rumors about teachers that we'd heard over the years, and there was one that kind of stood out to me. We'd all heard that Mr. Fisher was just kind of an off dude. Most of the teachers had their desks positioned so that students could see the teacher's computer screen from the side, but not Mr. Fisher. His screen could only be seen if you came around to the other side of the desk. We were told it was because he'd been caught watching porn at school. We were told he didn't get fired because he coached two of our school sports, baseball and football. So he was, quote, necessary staff. Just let that sink in for a moment. We all knew that something was off about him. He constantly seemed slightly flirty with the pretty girls, but the kind that could just be him being friendly that gets mistaken for being flirty. He'd smile and rest his hand on their shoulder for just a little too long. And us knowing about the porn incident just freaked us out a little more. But to my knowledge, nothing was ever said. I mean, it didn't matter anyway. The school always shuts down students when conflict with faculty arises, and especially as a coach, Mr. Fisher is completely safe. Or at least he was. He's single, always has been, and I doubt the man could find a woman who wasn't weirded out by him even a little bit. But he's also extremely materialistic. He's the kind of guy that money equals happiness, and he will do whatever he can to have the newest phone, laptop, car... The only thing he had no style in was clothes and absolutely no class, no matter how hard he tried to buy it. It was also his class that Chris and Adelaide had met and started their feud. I mean, Mr. Fisher had plenty of opportunity to pull these kids aside and get them involved in this business. And he had the motivation. Money. But I couldn't just put this operation on him and claim he's the supplier without some kind of proof. So one day, after his fifth hour, when he left his room to go to the teacher's lounge, I convinced one of the custodians to unlock his door, claiming that I'd left an important piece of homework in there, and Mr. Fisher told me it was okay for me to go in to look for it. I have no idea how that actually worked, but I guess I'm more convincing than I thought. I walked into his room and immediately went for his desk. I tried to rifle through some of the papers in his drawers, but only found tests and stats from opposing teams. But then I tried his computer. Because of the porn incident, he wasn't allowed to password lock his computer, and thank goodness for that. His screensaver was a picture of him and someone up cut. His screensaver was a picture of him and some woman on a beach. Very appropriate. And he had several file folders on his desktop. Clearly, some of them were for school purposes, labeled football schedule or test reviews, but there was one that caught my eye that was just labeled database. When I opened it, I was greeted by an Excel spreadsheet filled with names, order sizes, and a big paid or pending under a column just labeled by a dollar sign. 
I printed off a copy, stuffed it in my bag, closed out of the folder, and walked out of his classroom, smiling at the custodian and thanking him for letting me find my homework. I was in and out in like 10 minutes. I didn't take the spreadsheet to the school board. I thought about it. But I couldn't. They would take it and sweep it under the rug. So the first step that I could think of was to make copies. Then I sent one anonymously to the police, along with all the stuff that I've gathered about Addie's involvement in this drug deal and her disappearance, and included a note inside saying that I had reasonable suspicion that Mr. Fisher was involved in a drug deal that may have had something to do with Adelaide's disappearance. I then took copies of all of those documents and sent them to the local news station. The story broke on 5 o'clock news the next night, and the cops hadn't even gotten a search warrant until the day after. With the search warrant in hand, the cops showed up at Mr. Fisher's house, pushed past him, and in the basement found him growing his own weed. And there was some kind of rig that he could use to lace the marijuana with cocaine, which they found in a metal filing cabinet in his own office. With the damning proof, the cops took Mr. Fisher into custody, and he's been there ever since. With the supplier of a major drug operation in custody, the police have tried to move on with Addie's case, especially since she was involved in the operation. So far, they haven't found her, but they do say that they're getting close. As for me, I've taken my hands off of my own investigation a little bit, letting the professionals do their own thing. But I have a feeling that it'll all be over soon.